Blog Talk Radio. Talking about everything from, well, I won't say what we're talking about, but life, stuff, everything in between. Star Wars. (laughs) So, we're on live, and we are excited to get on radio. This is Patty Holtran, and OPG Holtran, whatever you want to call me. Featured in this is those two, okay? Yes. Hello, hi, everybody. or say, hey, John, this is so-and-so, obviously, let us know who you were because I can't possibly, you know, see cosmically through the through the airways here to figure out who you were. So, we have chat room, you can have also call, so definitely do both, okay? Uh, we're going to be talking about the books he's already done because we've been a few years. Yes, it has. And I'm delighted to be here, Patty. Thank you very, very much. Well, you're welcome. So, um, we have three books before this. Yes, indeed. We're on your fourth book. Yes, we are. <laughs> okay. So, Reckless Ambition, I know we talked about that a few years ago. Yes. But it's going really well. And Medford Family Chronicles is awesome. Yes, indeed. Uh, my second book, Capricious Deities, picks up right after where Reckless Ambition leaves off. And uh, it continues the Palomar and Civil War and finally wraps uh, up the big question on who will become the next emperor of Palomar. Now, uh, the, the fun part about Capricious Deities is I actually have a Gettysburg-like battle in the book. So uh, military tacticians and history buffs would certainly enjoy that section of the book. Um, After after Capricious Deity, should I move on to the next book, Patty? Uh, My third book is called Pivotal Ruckus. And uh, this is an amazing story about how ordinary people in a small local place, a tiny tiny town on a tiny island out in the middle of nowhere, suddenly find themselves right in the center of the universe with all heck breaking loose all around them. Um, Sounds like a good start. Yes, it does. With uh, two dragons fighting, a big uh, sea fleet battle, uh, and on top of all this, um, uh, all sorts of uh, crazy uh, invasions and uh, invasion forces landing on the island. Uh, I think Pivotal Ruckus in some ways has been my... uh, most enjoyable book to date. Uh, I certainly 
I'm certainly proud of the humor in it, but nothing is more exciting than my new book. My new book is the culmination of so many things that I've been doing over the past 45 years. That's how long I've been playing Dungeons and Dragons, Patty. I've been playing the game for 45 years, and for the and for the very first time in all of my books, I finally have what D&D players describe as a dungeon crawl in the book. What's now, a dungeon, crawl? a dungeon crawl is when you actually have a strong heroic adventurers coming together and running around in a dungeon uh, in a, in underground caverns trying to fulfill a quest or in this case rescuing a 7-year-old little girl uh, the the granddaughter with the grandfather leading the uh, leading the rescue party and my fourth book actually has this dungeon crawl so for the first time uh, I get to actually put some of the adventures that I've put players through over the years, I've actually been able to put them in the book. (laughs) It's really strange because all four of my books are set in my magical, mythical world of Palomar. And uh, this world has been in development for over 45 years. I started off the world and creating a whole new world is not as daunting or as overwhelming as some people think. Uh, When I first started the very first continent of Palomar, I originally came up with my imperial capital for the Palomaran Empire, Paladon City. And I had my D&D players running around this city, having all sorts of adventures. Well, after a while, my players said, hey, John, we want to fight pirates. So I'm like, okay. So I created the Forsaken Islands right north of Paladon City so my players could uh, get on ocean-going ships and sail off and fight pirates. Um, okay, I, I could have been more creative with my pirates. I suppose the name Yellowbeard is not exactly, <laughs> not exactly original. But, uh, but anyway, after that, uh, the continent of Palomar developed southward, um, spreading out through the provinces of the empire down to the uh, rival city-states union that are all fighting to uh, gain control of the continent. And uh, from there, I actually created two more continents. I created two more continents for my game, and I'm delighted to report that I'm already working on my fifth book. We'll talk about that after my fourth book a little more, but uh, my fifth book will actually be on one of the new continents. There are three continents on my world. Uh, My first four books are set in the southern continent of Palomar. Yes, I know, very original. I have the Palomaran Empire, the Empire of Palomar. Then the continent is named the Continent of Palomar. The planet is named the planet of Palomar, or the Palomaran planet, Palomaran solar system, then the Palomaran galaxy, then the Palomaran dimensional plane. Okay. Right. But uh, my uh, next continent is a western continent, uh, certainly much wilder and less civilized than the southern continent of Palomar. Um, And uh, good heavens, uh, I don't even know where to start. I'm so excited. I'm ready to start with my fourth book and to tell you all about it. Um, one of, back a second. I'm yes. About Pickle and Rocket. Yes. 
Yes, my third book, Pivotal Ruckus. Yes. Pivotal is kind of pivotal. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, it was definitely a rocket. Right. And, and uh, the, the title of the book actually has an interesting story. All, all, all four of my books have two-word titles. Um, my first book, Reckless Ambitions, that took a lot of agonizing thought. And I think it was you, Patty, who actually gave me the idea of reckless ambitions. Um, oh, we were talking about how the brothers were being reckless. Yes. And then, and they're all they were all ambitious. So that made sense. Right. No, we were yeah, we went back and forth on that. We were looking at we were looking at words. Right. And what now what what's really funny is my second book, that title just fell right into my lap. Uh, it literally I uh, I was talking with uh, an old friend and a former landlord, uh, Gen Z. And uh, uh, I was telling her about the book and how there there are a lot of deities and a lot of divine beings uh, arguing and fighting in it. And she simply said, boy, those sound like a lot of capricious deities, don't they? And, you know, it just hit me. I was like, wow. That, you know, so so book two, the title actually just sort of fell in my lap. Like, OK, here you go. There, there's there's the title of book two, Capricious Deities. Now, um Pivotal Ruckus uh, was, again, like the first title. Yeah, we, we were looking at words. And uh, I, I'll i never forget it's what... Having to do with certain meaning to them, and we were looking at the... Yeah, tri- uh, uh, tri- victory, triumphant, and we were trying all sorts of things with dragon in it, which, you know, is hard because every dog in this brother has a book out entitled Dragon Something. Right. And I said that wasn't uh, really going to go with what you've already done. Which is right. unusual titles, first of all, um, which of course makes it stand out and actually easier to find because of it. Uh, not even without, you know, people like to spell your last name wrong. Right. So, <laughs> and well, that makes it easier for them to find out. Though I, I did sort of spell Ruckus one. Right. Oh, uh, uh, what was it? Capapicus deities and uh, Capitius. Uh, <laughs> I, I was I was terrified when we came out with Academic Mayhem only because uh, we spelled it right. Now I, I thought that was ill, Ill omen for. <laughs> okay, anyway, now okay, back to Pivotal Ruckus. I came up with Pivotal Ruckus actually serendipitously uh, during a. I run a local Dungeons and Dragons weekly game Tuesday nights at Imperial Outpost Games in Glendale, Arizona. Uh, a wonderful man named Darren Johnson is the owner and proprietor, and uh, he lets me run the game every week. Hey, Darren. Yay, Darren. Okay. Now, um, while I was playing with my players uh, one time about two years ago, I can't believe it's that long, <laughs> but uh, the, uh, uh, we, we were having a great time, and uh, this, this uh, customer in the store actually was walking past us. Uh, she was looking at our game. She was looking at us all, yucking and laughing and ha ha ha. Oh yeah, we really got that monster. Yeah, you know. Anyway, she she smiled. I, I looked at her and I said hello. And she said, uh, she looked at me and she said, "What's all the ruckus about?" And uh, that word ruckus stuck in my head. Ruckus, ruckus. What can we do with ruckus? And in I was, words, it was pivotal that we were having trouble with. Right. We, we, uh, Patty and I went back and forth for weeks on triumphal ruckus. 
victorious ruckus, a crazy ruckus. Uh, we were, and, and finally, I think I was, I think I was literally just telling another friend how Patty and I were having such a hard time with coming up with the two word title. And, uh, I told him about the story, and the, uh, my friend John McDougall said, well, John, it certainly sounds like a pivotal story with a huge humanoid invasion and uh, two dragons fighting it out over who's going to possess the islands. And, uh, and How I took it was pivotal being a little bit different because of the fact that you were going to a different part of the continent. Yes. And kind of changing the, the structure of how you wrote the first two books, which was specifically uh, in a Palomar area. So, right. Uh, on the continent of Palomar. So you changed it by taking it to the Pelican Islands, which was, yes. which was away from the main body. But much more a local setting, a much more, you know, out in the boonies or in the back of beyond. It yeah, wasn't, it wasn't like, it wasn't like huge realms and mighty cities. And uh, yes, we have a gigantic invasion force, but that, but, but, you know, it wasn't like a, you know, it wasn't like, uh, like the previous books. It was like a much more local setting with uh, uh, simple characters running local taverns and sort of all wondering, Oh my goodness, how are we going to deal with all this? (laughs) Oh, yeah. I always say, okay, if you're going to read two books together, Gracious Deities with Reckless Ambitions are kind of the same characters. Yes. Yes. Seminal changes characters entirely. Oh, and that reminds me of another story, if I can briefly recap another story involving Reckless Ambitions and Capricious Deities. Way back in 2015, when I first met Patty, and I presented her with my manuscript for my very first book. I was thrilled. I was excited. Patty read the whole thing. Uh, she called me and said, John, I want to publish the books. So let's sit down and talk. When we sat down, I was all excited. And the first thing Patty says to me, she says, John, we're going to cut your books in half. Now, I misunderstood completely what she, what she meant. I got really upset and uh, excited. I was like, oh, no, half of my book is going to be cut. Uh, uh, I guess half of my book is really crap. This is terrible. Only half of my book, only people, people will only read half of my book. And then finally, Patty calmed me down. She got me to relax. She got me to refocus. She's like, pay attention, John. And she was like, no, 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 John. Book one and book two. Oh, <laughs> right. So, uh, my because it brings many words, and, and again, a huge book is just uh, even a fantasy is just not really doable unless, of course, you're uh, you know, certain, certain J.R.R. Tolkien or C.S. Lewis or, or J.K. Rowling. And uh, I, I hope to get there one day. <laughs> Started with three smaller folks, That's true. That's true. Well, anyway, so Pat, Patty convinced me to cut the, uh, my manuscript in half for book one and book two, and that that and so yes, reckless ambitions and capricious deities should be read in sequence. Uh, they're uh, together; they form a more more coherent story. So I am rather proud that you can still. You can still read them separately. You can still 
read each book and yeah. get get enough of the story. Like, oh, okay, so that's what's going on, and okay, I, I see what's going on here. Uh, if you really wanted to get to know the characters, well, I right. think Reckless needs to come first, right? And then the pieces. Now, in order to go to the pivotal is a pivotal change. Yes. Okay. Which is why I thought that's a perfect title because you took in not only a different island but you had different characters. Yes, uh, in the same time period. And I have a few characters overlapping from the previous books well, in Pivotal bit, Ruckus. The, the timing actually from Capricious is actually a little bit later. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah. Um, a whole lot later, but later enough. Yeah. Uh, if, let me get down and dirty here, everybody. And this is completely nerdy. Uh, book one is set in uh, 489, excuse me, 481 CE. 481 CE. That's 481 Common Era. Uh, book two is set in 482 Common Era, the end of the Civil War. Book three is set more um, a little bit later. It's set around 485 CE, so about about three or four years later. And uh, then uh, book uh, book four, my new book, I actually jumped 26 years ahead in the future to 509 CE. 509 CE uh, is book four, but yeah. Definitely tell you you wrote the book. Right. Yeah, I know. It's just I I want to pass the nerd test. What is the nerd test? Uh, A lot of people, when you go to conventions and when you're doing when you're doing tables and panels and you're talking about stuff, people love to nitpick. Like, oh, you added up the age wrong for that character, or oh, they were born in whatever year instead of the year you said. And you know, they they love to jump on you. So I I try to make sure that my books can survive the 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 strongest grilling, the, the the nerd test, yes, or the geek test. I. I think of myself more as a geek than a nerd. I know it's a matter of words and semantics, but sometimes words are important. So I, I, I consider myself a geek rather than a nerd, though I'd be very hard-pressed to define any real differences between the two. Um, now, moving on to Pivotal Ruckus. Pivotal Ruckus definitely has new characters, a new focus. Uh, I have some uh, former... Uh, characters that played or people who played these characters in former adventures of mine and um, the I don't want to spoil Pivotal Ruckus but the joke there's a big reveal in chapter 11 of Pivotal Ruckus that really uh, I've, I've heard from a lot of my fans, a lot of my readers, they're like wow I did not expect that, I, I really did not expect that uh, Kildarius Sharpclaw, the evil purple dragon, was that 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 right and uh, the um, uh, the the love story portrayed in Pivotal Ruckus uh, again reminds me of one of those. I guess it could happen. It's possible, maybe. But again, but, it doesn't have to because it's fantasy. Right. And leading into book five, and I'm gonna I'm gonna come back to book four now. But leading into book five, book five will be entitled "Unexpected Entanglements," with a pairing almost completely impossible to imagine. But uh, meanwhile, let's go let's go back to book 
uh, three and four. So I was saying about needing to read the two. Yeah. Um, I have people who say, well, can I just get pivotal ruckus? Yeah. Absolutely. Yes, you can because uh, once you, of course, once you love that world, you're going to want to read the other two because they're earlier. Right. And again, they're different characters, and some of the same characters that are in Reckless Ambition actually do show up a few occasionally. Yeah, uh, yeah. So you see that, but the thing is, again, it can be read on its own as a completely different as a separate story. book. Yes, and and then the fourth book again. I think that some of the characters you have would need obviously yeah. to have read Pebbled Rockets in order. To but you could read it by itself, honestly. Because of the reveal, I think it's important that they read Pivotal Ruckus before they do Academic Mayhem. Right. Yes, because Academic Mayhem is set 26 years after Pivotal Ruckus ends, and it's literally the next generation. Bom, 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 bom. You know, the, the children, the nieces, the nephews, and the, 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 the young, the, the new, the. Some some of the kids that are actually being born are, are being conceived right at the very end of Pivotal Ruckus. Suddenly they're all grown up. And I, here, I can say this without spoiling anything. At the end of book three, Pivotal Ruckus, we come across a lovely eight, eight-year-old girl named Sally, Sally Gardner on the Forsaken Islands. Uh, she, is a, she is a remarkable eight-year-old talking with the um, other characters inside the Pollux Caverns near the end of the book. And uh, she, she certainly uh, uh, is having fun, even though um, dire events are happening around her. And what's interesting is when you go to academic mayhem, uh, now she's in her 30s and she's a very powerful cleric of opponent Twilight. And uh, uh, again, it's it's the same character. Just, just uh, yeah, just, uh, she goes from uh, okay, uh, uh, eight years old plus 26, that's 34. So she's 34 years old in academic mayhem. And I checked that for you uh, geeky nerds out there. That's right. So, so yeah. Um, and she does ask it. Yes. She's definitely experienced by this point. Yes. And, and, and not, not, as, not as reckless or capricious. <laughs> little, little, little joke. Little, little, little humor there. But, uh, yeah. Um, now, the uh, care, let's talk about academic mayhem. Yeah, As I've said, well, okay, one constant throughout all of my books, I have something that I'm rather proud of. It's called the Game Masters University. It is a university dedicated for uh, wizards, magic users, sorcerers, warlocks, anyone who wants to dwell, uh, focus on arcane knowledge. And uh, in all of my books, the Game Masters University seem to, they seem to crop up unexpectedly. They seem to get involved in things that they really might not have other business in, but otherwise it's like. And um, for four books, from the very beginning in Reckless Ambition, I've been promising a cosmic, multidimensional war between the Game Masters University and the nine hells of of hell the uh uh i've been promising this since the very end of reckless ambitions i won't spoil it but uh um and so i finally deliver in book four where you have these titanic institutions finally going head to head 
in a literally a cosmic battle involving dimensions. And um, what what I what I what, coming up with the title, this one kind of just fell in my lap too. Um, I was talking with um, another dear friend and a, another former landlord. Bree White, <laughs> and uh, Bree, Bree is a wonderful lady. And uh, by the way, I salute Bree. She just gave birth to her second son not four months ago. Yay! And uh, we're very happy for her, her, uh, her, uh, her uh, uh, partner Alex, and uh, her, uh, her two sons, um, Aiden and Asher. Um, and uh, Asher was just born uh, back in uh, uh, help. Uh, May or June, so well, edging towards six months now. Wow. Okay. But anyway, the uh, I was talking with Bree White, and uh, I was I was explaining the plot of Academic Mayhem to her, but I told her I need another two words. You know, I I, I keep Patty always says two word titles, and I'm like, okay, so I need to come up with another two words. Well, we uh, we wanted something GMU. Uh, no, that's not George Mason University, though it's a fine school. Uh, but GMU meaning Game Masters University. That's how I use that. Um, we, we wanted to bring in the Game Masters University, but um, the title I originally thought, and it was way too long, even I said so when I told Patty, the title I originally wanted was the Game Masters University Freshman Student Handbook. Right. But anyway, the uh, I was talking with Bree and we wanted to get this in. It was Bree who said, Well, John, you certainly got a chaotically crazy story. Why don't you why don't you do what you always do and what you tell me you do? Go to a thesaurus. And I'm like, Oh, what a great idea. Right. So I, I I grabbed my trusty Webster's thesaurus. I have a big hardbound, you know, anyway. So I was looking at chaos. And I was like, chaos, uh, and I saw it, mayhem. Mayhem. Oh, mayhem. It's a word that I use a lot. Right. And I was thinking, like, okay, yeah, uh, general chaos and major mayhem. We've all heard yeah, that. Yeah. Chaos is an old word, isn't it? Yes. It's like not really popular right now. <laughs> For some reason, I don't know why. Yeah. So I was trying to pair up mayhem with Game Masters University, and it just wasn't clicking. Nothing was going. I, I mentioned this to Bree White again, and she's like, "Well, John, what do you, what what do you do? What do you, you what do you do in uh, universities? You know this better than anyone." Yes, I know. I have four degrees from four different universities. <laughs> don't get me started. Anyway, the. Um, and, uh, well, she got me thinking, and I was like, well, Bree, uh, what you do at universities, you have, you, you have academic pursuits. And all of a sudden it was like, academic pursuits, drop pursuits, add mayhem, academic mayhem. And I was like, there it is. Yeah, Bing. I mean, you don't have to take game masters, so that's it. Yeah, just academic, academic mayhem. Academic. Bam. There, there, there's, there's book four. <laughs> I, I was like, oh, my God. I, I, also, mayhem has to do with the, the dunder call as well. It's perfect for the, for the title. So. Yes. Yes. And uh, absolutely. <laughs> well, the uh, anyway. I'm, I, ooh. Uh, ooh. <laughs> ooh. Ah. All right, anyway. Now, um, okay. Again, 
said, I've already mentioned how I finally, after all this, all 45 years of playing and after all the writing I've done, I finally got a dungeon crawl in Academic Mayhem. Now, Patty was right. I did not want the dungeon crawl taking over the book. I did not want the dungeon crawl to go on and on and on, chapter after chapter after chapter. That was because of the fact that it's not really what you, you're writing a fantasy story. Right. There's not a Dungeons and Dragons book and I, I, based on it. Right. And I wanted to connect it to uh, people gaining experience for later on the big battle between the Game Masters University and the Nine Hells. Now, let me explain this a little bit. Uh, some people are familiar with Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, there's a concept of alignment that I'll be, I'll be reading a selection from Academic Mayhem, and this is important. What is alignment? Alignment is your way of thinking. It's your ethos. It's how you think, what you believe, and uh, your patterns of thought. Now, in Dungeons & Dragons terms, it's broken out into nine neat, simple alignments. You've got lawful good, neutral good, chaotic good, lawful good, excuse me, lawful evil, neutral evil, and chaotic evil. And then you have lawful neutral, true neutral, and chaotic neutral. So these nine alignments can describe almost any person's patterns of thought, ways of thinking, ethos. Now, each, each one of these alignments has, if you will, a heaven. Or when you die, you're going to go to one of these dimensional planes where everybody thinks a lot like you and you're supposed to be happiest. Okay? Guess what? If you're a chaotic, evil person, I often think of Jeffrey Dahmer as a terrifying example, but uh, he would go to the 666 uh, layers of abyss, which is the chaotic, evil heaven, if you will, where everybody's running around completely chaotic and just doing whatever they want and harming other people because they can. You know, so that's... Uh, now... I can't imagine a whole place like that. I mean, that is... Oh, oh, wait a minute. This is fantasy. Politics. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, politics. Oh, here we go. Hey, everybody. This is a political commentary. <laughs> oh, dear. The police are going to break. And the police are going to break down the door any minute. <laughs> okay. Um, but, uh, but, yes. Now, getting back to alignment. Um Believe it or not, there's the seven heavens of lawful good. What is lawful good? A lawful good person wants to help others, be nice to others, and they believe in systems. They believe in laws and uh, traditions and, uh, uh, you know, the law of the land should be upheld. Now, this is different from someone who might be chaotic good. A chaotic good example, I keep thinking of Don Quixote. Yep, or yep. I keep, oh, yes, Patty. I keep thinking of Don Quixote as a perfect example of a chaotic good person. He, he wanted to do wonderful good things, but he wanted to do them all himself. He wasn't worried about too much about governments and obeying laws and uh, following steps. Uh, he would he would basically ride out, see an injustice, and try to fix it. That's a that's a very chaotic. It's right in front of me. Aha! Let me deal with this. Right. right. Now, 
Even okay. If it gets in the trouble. Right. Now, a lawful evil person, and uh, the Game Masters University are going up against the nine hells. This is where all the devils live. Yes, this is. And, uh, yes. <laughs> uh, don't, don't, don't get me started. Does everybody want to, everyone want a bad lawyer, bad lawyer joke? Here we go. Um, why, why won't sharks eat lawyers? Well, everyone knows it's professional courtesy. Now, um, uh, the, and uh, here's another one for you. What, 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 what I'm bummed. Here's another one for you. How, how many, how many, um, how, uh, what are a hundred dead lawyers at the bottom of the East River in New York City? What's that? A good start. Did I start? Okay, now, uh, but anyway, getting back to lawful evil people, the devils ruled by Satan himself, yes. And, uh, well, anyway, uh, the Game Masters University end up tangling with the uh, nine hells. These are nine dimensional planes, all ruled by Satan and the devils, and they represent lawful evil. A good example of lawful evil, uh, uh, correction, let me phrase that more carefully. A prime example of lawful evil, oddly enough, I would say is Adolf Hitler. Adolf Hitler had a rigid system of laws. He, he knew what groups he wanted to destroy. He had plans. He worked through systems. And you obey my system or I kill you. You know, I mean, uh, um, and uh, so he, he, to me, is a lawful evil person. And he would, he, I figure he and Satan would be buds. But anyway, that's, that's another story. But uh, anyway, um, so uh, in Academic Mayhem, I'm very proud that I got the dungeon crawl in there for a good three or four chapters. But I wrap that up and I get, I get the adventurers out of the dungeon in plenty of time to get ready for this big cosmic dimensional war. Now, fighting, fighting uh, wars on a cosmic scale, literally, I'm not talking planets or solar systems. We're not talking one ship like the Enterprise sailing around or flying around. We're talking dimensions, whole realities. And to do this, you need magic. You need, uh, you need magical forces. You need spells. And guess what? You also need interdimensional thermonuclear weapons. It uh, came to me as a rather bit of a shock, but the Game Masters University, they explore all kinds. The mission of the Game Masters University, and I should have said this earlier, the mission of the Game Masters University is to explore all the realities of the multiverse, find games, cord them, master them, and preserve them. So, Every, any sort of game you can imagine, and many we can imagine, but every sort of game you can imagine from playing jacks right up to chess to, uh, gosh, wouldn't it be fun if we played interdimensional thermonuclear war? Well, how do we play that game? Well, we need to learn how to build nuclear weapons. So guess what? Uh, some Game Masters University students were obviously sent to MIT and Silicon Valley here in our dimension. And uh, they certainly learned their lessons well. <laughs> and then they went back to GMU and said, hey, guys, we got all this super cool technology. Isn't this great? Of course, uh, the reaction at the Game Masters University at first was very negative. Oh, these wheels and contraptions, all oh, these little technological devices. That's not real magic. That's not controlling magical energies and hurling them at people. But uh, 
the whole book, Academic Mayhem, talks about how some gallant uh, Game Masters University part-time adjunct instructors who are experts with technology convince the rest of the school, hey, you know what? This technological stuff is pretty cool. <laughs> and if we combine it with magical spells, magical forces, uh, psionic mental powers that I have through all four books, wow, the Game Masters University finally realizes, you know what? We could probably eventually uh, fight for the supremacy of the cosmos. Wow, wouldn't that be cool? Uh, a majocracy where... Uh, the, the most powerful magic users would uh, rule not just a planet, not just a country, not just a solar system, not just a galaxy, not just a universe, but the multiverse. Bum, 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 bum. Anyway, all of this comes out in academic mayhem. And uh, I'm, I don't want to spoil anything. I've, I've said a lot of things. I'm rather proud of myself, Patty. I've said a lot of things about academic mayhem without actually spoiling the book. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, she would, oh, yeah, you would have strangled me long since. If I were, anyway, now, um, since we've talked about alignments, and I hope everyone has a, a concept of what I'm talking about there, I'd like to read to you a selection from Academic Mayhem. Well, before oh, oh, we do that. Before we do that, yes, yes. Okay. Um, just so everybody knows the description that you use uh, is for the cover. Yes. As always from a scene in your book. Yes. Every cover of all of my books is taken directly from a scene, and there's several people I want to thank for this. I, I have been blessed with two incredible artists. Uh, oh, yes, I, I pay them for ownership of the art that they produce for me, but they are fantastic. Chris Ennett, E-H-N-O-T, and, and David Delante. Now, he draws pencil sketches. What, it, what happens is this. I select a scene that I'd like to see on the cover of a book, and I send it to Chris. Chris reads the scene, and he draws it. He draws it in pencil, All, you know, in, in, in miraculous detail, in black and white pencil. He draws it and sends me the image saying, what do you think? And I'm like, wow, this is great. What Chris then does is he then sends the pencil drawing to David Delante, who is uh, the way I yeah the way I understand it yes he's he does inking, coloring, shadowing, and literally three dimensional cartoons. Um, it's just absolutely stunning what he does. What you guys start with right, and what what happens is Chris Ennett draws the draws the cover, and David Delante brings the cover to miraculous life yeah. and academic mayhems has an amazing cover. It actually has a magical transformation on the cover. It actually has, um, uh, uh, one of my characters, uh, princess, uh, Cindy Medford or Cecilia Cassandra Medford, but everyone calls her Cindy. She's actually putting on a cursed magical helmet that actually Without spoiling anything, uh, what? Without spoiling it, uh, I'll read the scene to you in just a moment. But uh, she's at what? Right. Well, the cover actually shows uh, Cindy's transformation from a. Which was an interesting way to do it. 
Right. And uh, 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 with, I think I can say this since I'm going to read the scene right after this. I can say this. Um, before this scene, Princess Cindy Medford was a very chaotic, good lady. Uh, you know how some ladies are unbearably cheerful, you know that that you know, and uh, they're always ready to help. And, oh, like, oh, I got a great idea. Why don't we try this? You're like, right, 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 or 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 or, um, or or other things I really can't mention on the radio. But anyway, um, but anyway, the um, uh, uh, bo- right. But before before, the, oh dear, before this scene. The, Patty always gets me laughing, and when I start laughing, I, I, I can't talk. And well, anyway, before this scene, Princess Cindy Medford is a very chaotic, good person, ready to help anyone in front of her, always brimming full of good ideas, and again, unbearably cheerful. Uh, uh, after this scene, she does a 180-degree about-face and becomes... And this, and on the, you'll see this on the cover, and I'll read it to you in the scene. She literally becomes a lawful evil person. She suddenly starts valuing systems, governments, and hey, why can't I order a system or order a government to be what I want and have everyone do what I say for my profit? <laughs> I mean, this this is a. she's fine, you know, does this. Perfectly normal for her. Yeah. But she, even on the cover, you can see that even the clothes change. Yeah, even the clothes she's wearing, you can see on the cover, it's literally half and half. Uh, uh, the the change, the transformation is literally happening right on the cover. This is not holographic imager or anything. This is just a simple image. But uh, you can literally see even her clothes being altered, though her her appearance doesn't change at all uh it's just her clothes and her way of thinking inside yeah and that so was a good way to show the change right and uh, again uh chris Ennett and david delante they they deserve uh a, i don't know what artists get they don't get oscars they don't get emmys what do, what do brilliant artists get uh they get the <laughs> the knowledge that they actually create something very cool right and uh, i i am forever I like authors Right. Yes. I'm forever indebted to these two artists because they literally took the scene that I'm about to read to you and they put it in one image. They put it on my cover for Academic Mayhem, as they did for all my other books. Uh, do you want me to read the scene now? Okay, here we go. I'm going to read this scene and uh, you're just going to have to bear with me, everyone. But uh, I've already set the stage that uh, Cindy in, is in a dungeon. She's running around with her friends chasing monsters. Uh, I believe at this point uh, a bunch of nasty hellcats. Uh, hellcats are big, bad. They shoot fireballs from their mouths, and they have very short tempers. So uh, Cindy is chasing uh, her friends who are chasing these hellcats. All right. Uh, Cindy actually cast a spell, a dancing light spell, to uh, mesmerize the Hellcats. So the Hellcats are chasing the dancing lights. The uh, adventurers, Cindy's friends, are chasing the Hellcats. And Cindy's running behind them. Okay. Cindy's magical dancing lights uh, wheeled abruptly and uh, increasingly shimmered through the archway to the left. The fixated Hellcats deliberately raced after them, and most of the party members followed. 
Cindy decided to catch her breath a moment and passed uh, uh, passed by a large chest. As everyone else rushed on, Cindy noticed now that the metal lock, oh, the light is rather dark, uh, the metal lock on the chest was broken. Ah, there we go. And all that she had to do was simply uh, flip the lid over to see what was inside. Cindy concentrated a moment on her spells that the Hellcats were chasing and decided to send the dancing lights as far as she could from her current position. She decided on her own to investigate the inside of the chest by herself. Her curiosity got the better of her, and she told herself, well, she's saving the party trouble. She'll just open this chest real quick. When Cindy opened the chest, she became excited and overwhelmed. The chest was brimful with silver coins and even had some gold mixed in. She had really scored with her dancing light spell, which lured the Hellcats away. While her friends, especially that big silly oaf, Marzable, the spider, were now chasing the Hellcats, Cindy began sifting through the coins and filling her purse. She fully intended to share with everyone, but she just had to, she just had to snoop around to see if anything else was inside the chest. She struck pay dirt when he pulled out a beautiful steel helmet from the bottom of the chest. Clearly it was intended for fighters, but she thought it a very attractive item that should become party treasure and not just given to Marzable. She lifted it up and playfully placed the helmet uh, place, she playfully placed the helmet upon her head. Try saying that five times in a row real fast. Anyway, playfully placed the helmet uh, upon her head. I, never mind. Okay. Suddenly, Cindy heard a strange and powerful feminine voice inside her mind. The voice said, I am the fate mistress, Ariadne. I think it is time for you to serve me, young lady. The tricky thing about magic items is that sometimes they have life-altering effects. I decree that your ethos and ways of thinking will definitely change. Until now, you have always been flighty, chaotic, and eager to help other people. Now you will accept the value of governments, systems, and political power with the correct system that you control. You might majorly profit for once. Why worry about lives when life is cheap? Now you will want the power and authority to order things and events as you will for your own benefit and not worry about other people. You are mine now. This is what happens when you try on a magical cursed helmet of opposite alignment. After a moment, Cindy took the helmet off and put it back in the chest. Uh, she now noticed that even her garments she was wearing had changed somewhat as well. Her clothing was still functional for adventuring, but they had become much more revealing and seductive. Surprisingly, she found herself liking the new outfit as an improvement. As Cindy pondered her own life, she saw the actions of her parents more clearly. She still loved her parents, but now she realized that they always prevented her from learning politics and gaining authority. Her parents probably arranged her to be apprenticed into the Game Master's University in order to get rid of her and out of the way to make room for her brother and sisters. Her parents may love her, but now Cindy felt it was to suit their own purposes. And now Cindy thought she better she better understood the actions of their parents uh, party thief, Lexi. It is time she stopped worrying about uh, saving, uh, saving the weak as they will always die. 
Perhaps it is time for her to make some profit and build an empire for herself instead. Hey, do, do I keep reading? Or? Yeah. All right. Lexi came running back from around the corner and said, Hey, Cindy, did you find anything interesting in that chest? Cindy looked again. The chest was now almost empty. Aside from a few copper coins at the bottom and what it looked like a rusted old and battered helmet, there really was nothing of note. No, Lexi, just some coppers and a wrecked helmet, Cindy replied. Nothing special. Instinctively, Lexi knew that Cindy was lying to her, but decided to confront her later. She quickly asked, did you just change your clothing? Never mind. Come on. And they rushed away. As Cindy followed Lexi, she checked her purse and found all the silver and gold coins she took from the chest. She decided to keep them as she could get more magical equipment for her GMU classes and her dorm room. Maybe it is time I had as nice and luxurious living space as Octavian, Cindy Munder. As she almost caught up with the party, Cindy could uh, hear her new pet, Wemmick, the mimic, shuffling along behind her, trying to catch up. She, t- she turned toward Wemmick a moment and said, sent a telepathic message to him, saying, It is time I used you more effectively for mutual gain. Please change into something I can carry uh, in or on my backpack, and I will keep you safe and, and fed until I need you. Wemmick almost purred in response instead of huffing and puffing. He was, after all, just sprint, sprinting and sliding after the party as fast as he could for the last uh, ten minutes or so, and even mimics get winded after a while. He quickly turned into a woolen blanket with uh, strings holding himself in a nice roll. Cindy mounted Wemmick on top of her backpack, and he fit perfectly. So they both now closed in on the rest of the party. I should point out that, and I'm, I'm stopping the selection here, but I should point out that a mimic in Dungeons & Dragons, it's a big gelatinous cube uh, filled with corrosive acid. Uh, those of you who like Star Trek, original series, in a way it's kind of like a horda, you know, uh, it lands on top of you and then burns you with nasty acid. Well, um, Cindy befriended a baby mimic in the dungeon. I can say this without spoiling anything. And uh, the uh, the mimic can actually mimic other forms. So usually what a mimic does before it attacks you, it turns into a nice attractive treasure chest. Like, oh boy, come closer. And then when, when you're close enough, then it, then it suddenly turns into the big blob and lands on you to eat you. So, uh, so that's what was going on at the end. Um, right. So, okay, Patty, I've done a lot of talking right now. I hope I've gotten this across on the, uh, on the show here. And this is just, uh, this is just only two or three pages of, uh, academic mayhem. And, um, I'm very excited with, uh, how the whole book, uh, rolls on after that. <laughs> definitely. Definitely. And I, I think anybody who's reading it now, of course, uh, they'll naturally have to be, a Dungeon and Dragons person in order to enjoy the Dungeon Crawl. Right. Uh, if, if anyone who would, in, I would think, anyone who enjoys Harry Potter or Lord of the Rings, Chronicles of Narnia, Richard Jordan's books, Wheel of Time, or or any any fantasy genre would enjoy my books. Okay. Um, the only. So let's talk a little bit about your maps. Ah, yes. <laughs> the fantasy. Uh, maps are really important in the overall 
scheme of things, at least I have always found that to be the case, uh, you came out with a map of the first set of books. Yes. And uh, I mentioned already how I uh, developed that map, didn't I? I mentioned that already on the show. Yeah, you did mention yes. about what the day looks like. Uh, I know that they've, on the key map, you've, you've got, yeah. I mean, very detailed information on them. Yes. One thing um, I've always liked about J.R.R. Tolkien, and I admit I use him as a model for my writing. Uh, yes, my book, my book one actually has an appendix with uh, 4,000 years of Palomarin history in it. Uh, okay, but the maps, I can proudly say every river, every woods or forest, every city, every town, every mountain range, every desert, every little kingdom or uh, major road or uh, uh, everything on my maps has significance and has a background and has a backstory to it. That that's the trick about a good fantasy world. You don't just whip up a fantasy world in about two hours and uh, come up with crazy names like Actifol or something like that. And uh, you know, we were talking about that. Yes. <laughs> yes. How uh, people think have this misconception about fiction authors, and that we just simply pull it out of our head and just get it on paper. That's that's not usually how it goes at all. There's actually Usually, some you know, quite a bit of research you have to do. Right. Yes, uh, it is made up world, but you still have certain structure. Right. You can't. You, you, you can't put you can't put a desert next to a jungle. That's ecologically impossible. Right. Yeah. Right. No matter whether it's fantasy or not, there's still things that are just not feasible. Right. Now, one thing about my maps, not only do I try to uh, gauge the history and the politics with my maps. I try to show why things are important. Like uh, in my first map for Palomar, is almost the landmass is almost neatly divided in half by the Ramapo Mountains. There are only three ways through the mountains, all the way on the east, all the way on the west, and one pass in the middle. And gee, there are major fortresses at these locations. Why? Because if you're trying to invade north or south, you're going to go through these areas. So, again, uh, I mean, uh, you've got a Scaladon fortress on the far east. You've got the uh, city-state of Borderton on the far west. And you've got Camden Pass in the middle. So Games of Thrones does the same thing with their giant wall. Right. Right. But uh, I think one difference that I have with my world and that of Game of Thrones or even Middle Earth is that – not only do I have not only do I have raging politics, which everybody does, but I try to make things ha- uh, have a purpose and a social aspect as well. Like uh, if if the elves are uh, if the, if the elves in my world are a hunted species, you know, a persecuted race, they're they're not going to have they're not going to have a huge city right in the middle of a of rich farmland. You know, they're going to be tucked away in a tiny little in a tiny little area of a very dark, scary woods that people don't usually run around in, or humans don't usually run around in. Or swamp. Right. Right. So, um, uh, not, I can proudly say that my world, uh, my first continent, the northern half is generally mostly Palomar, the empire of Palomar, divided into 11 provinces. Um, Actually, there was a 12th province, but it, uh, 
the Game Masters University sort of broke that one away. <laughs> and who, who in their right mind, even with a big human army, who in their right mind is going to take on a nation full of spellcasters? Yeah, right. <laughs> now, um, south of the Memorial Mountains, <coughs> I have 11 city-states. Um, based on a, the ancient Greek model of city-states, each city-state has its own culture, its own background. Each city-state hates the other and tries to conquer each other and tries to dominate each other. But right, but when whenever Palomar gets expansionist ideas and tries to send an army down to the city-states to conquer a city-state or two, all eleven city-states immediately pool their armies together to beat off Palomar. So uh, there's sort of a love-hate relationship there. <laughs> like, oh crap, I need you and your troops and. You know, they hold off uh, big old Palomar, but, uh, well, oh, I wish I could take you over. <laughs> so, now, let me give you an example. Uh, I could list all 11 city-states, but with my luck, I'd miss one. So I'm just going to say, I'm going to mention a few. Um, uh, let's see. Uh, Wahlberg is my German, uh, medieval German town with a German culture. Stargate City, that's my Paris. Uh, Tabraz, that's my... Tabraz is my combination, Beijing, Tokyo, and Bangkok. While uh, uh, Moldavia, that's my, uh, that's my uh, Balkans um, city-state, you know, very much like the Balkans. Uh, you know what? Here's a little tidbit for you. Every, everybody in Moldavia laughs at the silly rumors. Of course, of course they're these silly rumors. Our, our count, our ruler of Moldavia, he's not a vampire. Oh, only, only, only silly People believe such wild stories. Of course, he's not a vampire. <laughs> yeah. Ooh, somebody, somebody commenting? Oh my goodness. Oh. Oh, okay. Well, hey, uh, you know, really, if anybody wants to call in and say hi and uh, ask me questions about what I'm doing here, aha. Ooh, the microphone moves. Okay, I hope everyone can hear me better now. <laughs> Is this better? Okay. All right. 11 city-states, each one has its own separate culture. And uh, the Palomar itself, Palomar is a combination empire of uh, the Roman Empire and I like to think medieval England, circa 1100 AD in real world. What does that mean? That means that Palomar uh, is highly, is, has a highly feudal structure where the aristocrats literally control everything. Gunpowder exists, but cannons, pistols, rifles have not been invented yet. Um, uh, but uh, again, Palomar is my major Roman slash English British state, while uh, while the uh, uh, the city states have their own cultures. Okay. Um, yes, I have a brand new continent that just came out last week. Actually, I've had this. Con- the, I, uh, the whole planet has three continents. Uh, the southern continent of Palomar are where my first four books are set. I finally got the western continent designed and drawn by Steve Crompton. Here's another shout out. Yay, Steve Crompton and Flying Buffalo. What's up with Steve Crompton getting like. I know, I know. I, 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 
I name I name things sometimes after dear friends, mountain ranges, forests, cities, and uh, yes, uh, Steve Crompton was the what? Yeah, Steve Crompton. Steve Crompton. Uh, he designed. He he took my maps, which I drew with magic markers, and I have to admit, my my maps looked like. Uh, fourth grader's science diorama. But Steve Crompton took my maps, computerized them, and turned them into a beautiful black, white, and gray format, easy for printing. And uh, I'm so excited because uh, he's done that now with the southern continent of Palomar and now my western continent. And what Patty is referring to, uh, Steve Crompton, of course, uh, he ended up with a big major city uh, while... uh, Patty, uh, the city of Holstrin, her last name, uh, is a good-sized town, but it's you know it's smaller than a big city. Uh, yeah, but, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> ruled by a baron or a count instead of a duke. Yeah, but uh, <laughs> I'm I'm sure we've all heard that. I'm sure we've all heard that that other joke. Here's another joke for you. Um, our, my, the town I grew up with, the town I grew up with, was so small. We didn't have a godfather of crime. We had a nephew. <laughs> yeah, right. um, all right. Um, now, very different from Palomar. The Palomaran continent is much more settled. More major cities, uh, uh, explored areas. While the Western continent is a lot of jungles, a lot of mountains, a lot of rough terrain. It's perfect for Dungeons and Dragons adventuring. And my my uh, current Dungeons and Dragons campaign going on at Imperial Outpost Games, I have the party leaving the southern continent. They don't know it yet, but they're going to end up in the western continent. <laughs> my Dr. Evil laugh. Anyway, what can I say about the western continent? Uh, I mentioned the western continent at the very end of book four, Academic Mayhem. And the lovely princess on the cover who is going through her transformation uh, without spoiling anything. Let's just say that she ends up uh, at the near, at near the end of the book. She ends up traveling to the Western continent. I can say that without spoiling anything, but um, the Western continent, uh, it's definitely rougher or more unexplored areas, lots of jungles, lots of mountains, uh, fewer rivers, but the rivers are bigger, if you will. Than the than Palomar, and uh, yes, um, right. Um, pa- uh, Palomar has a lot of rivers and lakes and streams, but uh, uh, the, in in the Western continent, they're much bigger rivers, like more more Mississippi rivers, if you will. And uh, uh, let's see, people. Yes. Oh, definitely. Uh, there's no point in having a map if you're not going to refer to it in your story. Uh, when, 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 um, people have to journey from place to place, you just, you, you can't have wizards teleporting everybody everywhere all the time. This isn't Star Trek with the transport, right? So it makes, right, right. So, uh, in, in my world, uh, when I run adventures, if if uh, part if party members want to travel from one place to another, they have to plan their route. Are they going to go by ship? Are they going to go by riverboat? 
Are they going to uh, get some horses and try to go over land? Oh, I love it when they try to go over land. All sorts of things can happen. <laughs> oh, hey, traveling traveling by sea is just as dangerous. I mean, not 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 just pirates. You got you got uh, mer people. You got krakens. You got all sorts of <laughs> yeah storms and uh, typhoons and all that other uh, really cool stuff. So yeah, um, yes. Yes. I know that you're, you have added an, another dimension to the book coming up. Oh, yes. Yes, I have. Um, my fifth book, very excited, is going to be entitled Unexpected Entanglement. I think I'll elaborate on this. Now, is this an extension from the four books that you have now? No, this is a different series. Uh, instead of, I to say. Right. Instead of the Medford Family Chronicles, this is going to be Palomaran Heroes and Legends. So technically, it's not in the continent of Palomar. It's going to be in the Western continent, the new continent that we got. And it's going to be 2,500 years plus before Reckless Ambition. So uh, it's going, yes, a, a prequel, one might say, but with totally different characters, totally different setting, with only one crossover character. But I'm not going to say which one, but yes, it'll certainly be in a more. Anyway, yeah, and uh, well, Unexpected Entanglements is going to be a romance. It's going to be a heroic romance, and uh, I've got the perfect title for it, Unexpected Entanglements. Why? Because in this book, we have a handsome, noble, chivalrous, lawful good paladin who rides forth to do good deeds and to defend the weak and preserve life. He's a dashing hero. We have a wicked, evil, cunning, vicious, treacherous, very sexy, anti-paladin female who's chaotic and evil and out to unify the continent to, to build her own empire. Who would imagine? Who could conceive these two completely opposite people would fall in love? And that involves unexpected entanglements. <laughs> there I say it. Could anybody imagine, could anybody imagine just for a moment, Adolf Hitler and Moses eloping? No, you can't. It's completely impossible. That, that's about the same as a paladin and an anti-paladin. Get, uh, falling in love. Um, uh, well. So are we to expect more stories that are coming up? Well, I hope to continue with Medford Family Chronicles into the future at later books, but I also want to develop this Palomaran Legends and Heroes because I've got over 45 years of Dungeons and Dragons campaigns and adventures and notes and characters. I've got, I've got, I've got it all. I've got uh, corrupt religious clerics. I've got power-mad magic users. I've got vicious barbarian fighters who just want to run, want to run around and kill people. I've got devious, cunning, and uh, nasty thieves who want to steal everything. And I've got, I've got bards who want to sing famous tales about all of these people. I've got assassins who, hey, you got the money? We put, we put, we kill the people you want us to kill. I've got ninjas. I've got samurai. I've got all this great stuff. Oh yes, I've got, I've got fodder for many other books. Um, yay! yay. I, 
I hope my death is a very long time off. So I hope to be like Richard Jordan. I mean, Richard Jordan managed like 22, 23, 24 books before he died. I think. Yeah, they, 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 yeah, they, they finished the last one after his death from from his notes. Yeah, but I, uh, well. Yes. Excellent, excellent. Well, again, uh, what I'm trying to say is I hope to keep writing books uh, as long as I live, which I hope is a very long time. And, uh, you know, the... Uh, the oh. Aha, yes. You can find me several places. First off, uh, you can find me on Amazon. Yes, you can go to Amazon.com. Go to books, uh, the, uh, the department list, you know, uh, bypass the DVDs and the movies. You go to books, and you just type my – yeah, and, uh, or Blu-ray or whatever the – anyway. You, uh, you, go to bo- you, right, you go to books, you just type in my full name, John Paul Reed, R-I-E-D. Yes, it's di- – Good, good German spelling, though. It, no, it's not ride. It's read, R-I-E-D. Anyway, you type in my name. You'll see all of my books available, both on paperback and Kindle. And, uh, and I even have a website, www.palamarinadventures.com. Uh, let me spell that for you. www.t is in Paul, A is in Apple, L is in Larry, A is in Apple, M is in Mom, A is in Apple, R is in Robert, A is in Apple, N is in Nancy, Adventures, no, no, no space in between the two words. Adventures, spelled the usual way with with an S at the end, not adventure. Adventures. dot com. Right, and uh, you can order my book right right from my website. I believe also you can order my books from almost any bookstore if you uh, give them my name, the title of the book, and then the ISBN number. So uh, yes, my books are out there, and I have a special surprise for everyone. If you go to Palomar and Adventures, LLC, www.palomarandadventures.com, you can download my Palomar and Continent map for free, the big one. Uh, you know, if I can, the first one. And guess what? You're absolutely right, Patty. When I when I get home, I'll, I'll put the second one up there. <laughs> I should do that. <laughs> yeah. Right, yes. I'm writing Unexpected Entanglements as we speak. Uh, the next book after that, do I have time to mention that at all, Patty? How much time do we have left? Okay. The next book after that, I'm going to do a real departure. I'm going to take a one character that is five four of my books. Uh, she was a, a minor character in all four books. I'm going to take her... And she's going to she's going to be bored out of her mind, so she's going to deliberately jump into a random dimensional portal, and she's going to end up in the wild wild west, uh, northern yeah northern Arizona, eight, uh, circa 1874. That uh, and uh, excuse me, 1872. So that's uh, four years before Custer. And uh, 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 what's going to happen is this, this book. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I, I, I know, I know. But anyway, what, what's going to happen is she, uh, this succubus, I'll say it, this demon succubus, um, she's going to end up in a western frontier town, 
full of crazy things. I'm going to call the book Crossed Targets. Crossed Targets, the Brody Flint saga. Brody Flint is my hero in this Western. He will be a federal marshal. And uh, I, I can say this without spoiling anything. A major line in this book will be at one point where an angry Protestant Presbyterian Methodist mob is descending on the uh, chasing the succubus, and uh, she's hiding behind the marshal, who, who happens to be uh, his, her boyfriend. Uh, the marshal is going to say to the crowd, how in the blankety blank, 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 blank heck was I supposed to know that my girlfriend was a blankety blank, blank, blank demon? <laughs> so uh, we'll, we'll go running with that one, too. Uh, so that's, that'll be book six after I finish with book five. And then for book seven, I promise my D&D players, uh, they, they're loyal, they're fanatical, they uh, love me on Facebook, and uh, they play in my games. I promise book seven, I will go back to the Palomar continent, and I will go back to uh, Dungeons & Dragons uh, uh, characters. I will put several characters from my recent adventures over the last two or three years, and that, that will be book seven. Uh, we haven't, that's, that's another title we need to work on. We've, um, uh, we've, I've, I've come up with a couple of potentials, but I don't want to even say them until we have a better idea of what we're doing. Uh, I, I want to finish book five and five and six first. Before we... Yes. And uh, all of the books, uh, will have some sort of crossover. So there will be some sort of tie-in. But um, the Brody Flint saga will be my Western saga. I hope to at least do two or three books on that. And uh, my Palomar and Legends and Heroes, God, I, could, I could write books on that. Um, and I know I mentioned this before, and I'm hoping that, that yeah. you're thinking about um, yes. Doctor. Well, <laughs> oh, the Doctor? Oh, yes. Uh, in one of my most dynamic characters, Dr. Andrew Newmull, uh, he's a gardener. He, uh, uh, if anyone's seen Star Trek Deep Space Nine, they'll know what I'm saying when I say he's just a simple gardener. Um, Dr. Dr. Andrew Newmull, uh, he's merely a truth seeker. He searches for truth. If he has to literally beat the crap out of somebody with all sorts of uh, persuasions, uh, I think everyone knows what I mean, torture. I mean, he's only trying to get to the truth. I mean, you control everything. As soon as you tell him the truth, then the pain will stop. <laughs> You're very, very logical, very, very precise. And I, I have in mind for a prequel, where uh, in uh, in in, uh, in the oh, first no, books, right? In the first books uh, that I have out, Doctor Numel is an old man. He goes from like eighty-one to eighty-five, and well, I'll say it at the very at the very uh, at the very beginning of Academic Mayhem in the prologue, he dies peacefully of old age. That shouldn't be a surprise, but Patty's right. I intend a prequel 
where Dr. Andrew Numo would be a young, hotshot, 16-year-old teenager running around, running around Paladon City and getting into all sorts of trouble and uh, running into a couple of characters that might be crossovers. And, uh, and uh, we're going we're gonna to see how this uh, young, pure, hotshot, you know, reckless, uh, careless sort of fun-loving guy uh, gets on the path to, um, well, Dr. Andrew Numo. <laughs> Heaven forbid. <gasps> oh, no, we're running over. What? Yeah. I didn't know we were that over. Yeah, so Ooh. just because we have lots of catch-up time. Yes, we do. <laughs> we have lots of catch-up time. So. And, 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 we did, and we didn't end up trapped in a political debate. Oh, my goodness. I know. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yes. Yeah. It's over. Finished. Through. All right. Um, oh, I think I voted weeks ago with my with the mail ballot. You know, I, I got the mail ballot in the mail. I sent it back the very next day so I wouldn't forget it. So, but OK. Uh, by the way, everybody. I'm honored to be here. Patty Holstrand is a marvelous publisher. Uh, someday she'll let me dedicate a book to her. She hasn't I let me do that yet. I praised her in the acknowledgments, and hey, she has her own town. She has her own town now. <laughs> <laughs> well, don't worry. I'm, I'm gonna have some. I'm gonna have some adventurers in that town very soon. actually means something. It's actually a made-up name. It's Swedish, and it actually means small town by the sea. Which here, you're actually small town by the sea. It's a small town by the sea, right on the western continent. There you go. I know. But, and and people say and people say there's no fate and there's no God, you know what I mean? <laughs> well, there you go. Right. Down by the sea. Right. Yeah. How you couldn't be happier, right, Patty? <laughs> She's happy, I'm happy. <laughs> And, and uh, that'll be the next episode. And, and you know, we have to thank the Sun Creek for some people who actually listen to the show. And yay! Awesome. Yeah, so we got some other things coming up. And, and there'll be like doing interviews at least once a week, as far as uh, authors, artists, you name it. Um, I have uh, another big name that we're working on bringing in to actually speak to TEDx. So. Oh, wow. Ooh. Uh, actually, and tell her, like, not that but, uh, I don't change anything because, again, we still have people who are listening to the show. Uh, even after all these years. Wow. So, why? Wow. Wow.
And this is why I admire Patty so much. She's, uh, her brain is always turning. She's always thinking. She's always plotting and planning and scheming. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Everybody, I'm delighted to be on the show. Thank you very, very much, Patty. Um, oh, yes. God bless everyone. And uh, hey, read my book. You won't regret it. Have fun. We'll talk soon.